Hey friends, Dr. Ed Williams here. As you know, I'm passionate about the business of aesthetic medicine as well as mentoring those who are serious about getting to that next level um, in life and in business. So in my podcast series, I see, share so many of the lessons and things that I learned, <clears throat> excuse me, as an entrepreneur, small business owner. I've written a book called The White Coat Entrepreneur, which is basically a tell-all. <clears throat> um, and it's not just really meant for a surgeon. P- pretty much anyone in small business can benefit from this. You can check it. You can send me questions on Dr. Edwin Williams, all one word, dredwinwilliams.com. And today's topic <clears throat> is how to add associates or bring out a partnership to your aesthetic uh, practice. And, you know, this is a question I get probably once a week from colleagues sending me an email wanting to know, hey, I know you've done this successfully. Why am I qualified to talk about this? Well, <clears throat> we've had, we got five core facial plastic surgeon, plastic surgeons in the practice. We're adding one more in July and a, uh, another to put us at seven in 2023. Um, and we've done it successfully. And I, I, I believe we have a very, uh, a great culture, a harmonious group. But I made I made my share of, of mistakes. I had a miserable failure, my very first one, and, and, and certainly we learn lessons from that. And that's some of the stuff I want to talk about. And I think the first question I just got actually just got a uh, an email this week from a buddy of mine <clears throat> who's wanting to do the same thing. And you know his question is he just brought someone on as an associate for been there for about 17, 18 months, and he wants to make him partner and knows that I've done this. And of course I get this question all the time. I can literally spend hours on the phone call helping friends. Cause I would dare say that 95% of us fail to do this and, and do it well, you know, it, it falls apart. And then you got competition across town that you trained and has all your network and all that stuff. So I think the first question you've got to ask yourself <clears throat> is why, you know, why, why do you want to bring someone on, you know, cardiology groups and orthopedic groups, these big, big, specialty insurance-based medicine groups do this um, really for one main reason, to, to share overhead and to share um, and to share call. And I talked to one of the big ortho groups, and they also have one reason, one other reason they do it is, is that there's a 100-person orthopedic group in our town, and I asked them, and, and, and they basically said the same thing. The third reason not to share call and overhead is is to maintain their independence from the hospital, be able to negotiate with insurance companies and, and not basically end up being employees in the hospital. Our reasons are very different. Most of us don't, as I told my partner and associates when they first came on, you know, what I have is not broken. I don't need you, you know, to help me share overhead kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> so most of us do quite well on our own. So, so why? Why do we want to bring someone in? Well, um, you know, is it, Let's face it, it's hard to just take off two weeks, right? I mean, many of us go 20 years. It took us 10 years to get the practice started. And now you want to take more time off. And that's a problem when you have a good team and a good staff because, you know, they're not going to sit around and wait for you for two weeks. No one wants to be backed off. You know, people want full-time work. So these are, you know, difficult things. You don't want to take off time, but you, you, you can't really leave your practice. I've talked to others who say, well, I know that if I add people, I can, you know, uh, I can have passive income sources and I can make money. And, and the reality is, um, 
there's not a lot you can with an economy of scale as you create a business, but don't expect to make a lot of money um, on, on your partners on a revenue point of view. As you build a business and you own more of the equity, and yeah, that's a possibility, but that's the end game. You know, so if you're going into it for the wrong reason, you will fail. So, you know, and I think you've got to ask yourself a few things. If you are bringing someone on, I mean, it's easier if you're bringing, if you're a facial plastic person, you're bringing on a plastic surgeon because you can say, what are you going to give up? Well, I'm not going to do any body stuff, but you know, if you, or if you're a plastic surgeon, you're going to bring on, you know, a facial plastic guy, you say, okay, oh, I'm going to stop doing, you know, I'm going to stop doing rhinoplasty, for example. But what are you going to give up? If you're an eye plastic person, you bring in another eye plastic person. What are you going to bring in, give up if you're a facial plastic person bringing on another facial plastic surgeon? Because you can't just say, I'm going to give you all the shit that I don't want, right? That's not fair. And that's not sustainable. After a couple of years, someone works really hard. They're like, I'd like to see some of the nice stuff. I'd like to make a nice income too. You know, I'd like to do as well as you do. You can't just kind of scrape the cream, although you're entitled to whatever the hell you want, quite frankly, providing the rules are laid out because you're the one that grinded it out to get it to that point. The other question you're going to ask yourself is, you know, what do you have to offer? You know, if, you got a, you know, if you're bringing in a plastic surgeon, you're bringing in a facial plastic surgeon, you know, what, do you, what do you have to offer them? You know, if you're just sharing overhead, that may not be enough. I mean, I mean, we're at a point where we, we've become kind of a hot place to work. You know, we have this amazing culture. We have this amazing management team and a marketing team and an economy of scale. You know, we have a CFO. Who, we have our, our accounting is at a much higher level of sophistication. Um, you know, we have our own operating rooms, goodwill. We've been in the community forever. So that gives us an economy of scale, something to offer a plastic surgeon or a facial plastic surgeon who wants to put their head down and work and do well, you know. So we have something to offer them, you know. Are you willing to play by the same rules? Um, you know, if you bring someone in and, and, and what this means is, have you always run your practice as a lifestyle practice? And I never understood this from the beginning. A buddy of mine who's uh, sold his company for over nine figures 10 years ago said to me, you know, do you have a lifestyle business or do you have a, you know, are you a business you're trying to grow to, to make it value and, and to sell? And I said, well, what do you mean by that? But here's, let's just use a basic example. What most small businesses do and what most facial plastic practices or plastic surgery practices do. Okay, so you're bringing in a million dollars. You got expenses of maybe, you know, 650. So you got 350 left over and that's your quote income. But you're using a lot of the expenses. You're, you're pushing through family expenses. You're pushing through expenses. So what you have is a lifestyle business. You're not really trying to generate profit because profit is the only thing that's worth anything on the market, price burning point of view, right? So um, second of all, is your, is your accounting and legal clean? Do you have a legal document with an operating agreement? How well thought out is your path to partnership? What does that look like? You know, I mentor so many young people who are looking at, um, you know, go, joining a partner and many of the arrangements are really poorly thought out completely. And, and I'll often dissuade people from taking the, taking the position. But the typical story I find is you got a senior partner. He wants to, she wants to bring someone in because they want to take off more time. And, you know, so they bring someone in 
They're planning on discussing partnership in one to two years. They may have an operating agreement or may not. They don't have a great, you know, a complete legal effort uh, entity with a, with an operating agreement set, but they may have a excuse me an employment agreement set up. The person joins, and um, you know, at eighteen months, they start to begin the discussion of what it looks like to be a, a partner. And again, they don't have everything set up as a business, and then they start to talk about what you know what the business is is worth, and um, there's you know, some fuzzy fuzzy math. I mean. And they'll have some clear rules, like, you, you know, for example, um, you know, you're going to get all this and you're going to get all this and, and this is how I'm going to keep you busy until you're making enough money. And then, you know, all of the rules, like, for example, when, when one of our juniors came on, I said, look, I'm not going to promote you per se for rhinoplasty and facelift, but everything else, uh, you know, all the soft tissue trauma is yours, all the hair transplants yours. Uh, you know, people ask for you for a facelift, ask for you for your rhinoplasty. You can get as much injectables as you want. It's all yours. Um, and, you know, even in that arrangement where it's clearly laid out and there's tons and tons of communication, uh, now and then, you know, a person will go the wrong way. But the reality is if that associate is doing well financially and, and knows that it's there's fair and there's a lot of communication um, and the cost, uh, the, you know, what it's going to, as far as the equity piece, as far as in buying stock, they know what it is from day one, there does not become this contentious discussion. What I see so frequently is a junior person comes on board. They're there for 18 months. They start the discussion. They get busy. Now they're dealing six more months into, you know, legal and trying to put documents together. And then they sit down and they talk about what it's valued. And then they want this quote, you know, egregious buy-in. That based on, in my opinion, fuzzy math. I mean, it's based on you know either the cost, the old-fashioned cost method or income method. It comes from you know some of the um, traditional medical practices, and not a true multiple of EBITDA or profit, which is left over after fair market value is taken into consideration for the doctor. And all of a sudden, you know, eventually, <clears throat> the young junior person. And this, I saw this happen once with a oral surgery group. The junior person, who's a rock star, by the way, uh, takes all this financial information and goes across town and you know meets with an attorney. And the attorney's like, "Oh yeah, but there's there's not a lot of profit left over. I mean, what are you buying? You know, what what are you really buying?" And and the reality is, you know, you're not really buying anything worth anything. You're buying a job, and if that's the case and you're not getting a real ROI in your investment, then why are you joining that person? And of course that person leaves, goes across town, you know, they fight over non-compete and you know, you got some of the worst competition across town. Uh, I had a, a situation where a number of years ago, I had a, a fellow of mine, a, a good friend of mine who was a colleague. He was a few hours away. He was looking to bring on someone. Um, they got, I put them together and I kind of mentored her through the process. Uh, looked over the math, talked over the situation. The bottom line was the arrangement was kind of fuzzy. The There was an income, uh, but there was no kind of like structure on exactly how the business was going to run. There was no structure on how it was going to be evaluated. Um, and my argument or my, my recommendation to you know, my fellow at the time was I – 
was the advice not to join that person because it wasn't well thought out. Everything should be thought out from the accounting. You should be able to sit down with that junior partner. Now, again, when they're an employee, you don't do this until you're getting ready to make partnership. But when you're getting ready to make partnership, you should be able to open the books comfortably. In fact, I did this with one of my very first plastic surgeon uh, who joined me. When we were ready to talk partnership, after he'd been with me for about 15 months, I opened a book and he basically said to me, he was in a bad partnership arrangement, by the way, like so many of the ones we see fail. And he said, I can't believe you showed me more, you know, in one day here, one afternoon than I saw, you know, in six years with, a, with another person. So being totally transparent and being able to look someone in the eye, I mean, you're entitled to get paid for your stock if you will, and they're entitled not to overpay. And when this is done well in advance, proactively, um, and set up correctly, then then it's a good deal and, and there's there's sustainability um, you know to it. I have another colleague of mine, he's you know for the last 20 years he's probably been five through six or seven junior partners never stay on. Clearly that arrangement is not working. But anyway, so to go back to the story that, you know, the one buddy of mine who I tried to put with my fellow and because I knew she would be a great takeover of his practice. Sure enough, a couple of years goes by. He doesn't have anyone on, you know, he can't take the time off, but he, you know, didn't want to let it go. And, um, <clears throat> well, he starts having some health problems and ends up having to basically close up the practice at age, I don't know, 72, 73. Um, and there's no value there at all. In other words, you worked really hard to build this equity. And I see this so frequently with small businesses. The only reason to have a business is to build it, to grow it, to add value so you could potentially sell. And I think what I try to do with, with the people I help and mentor and what I've tried to do with what we have is always build it. I mean, I've had private equity approach me three times now. And the last time they came and it was a seven multiple EBITDA, which for those of you who understand this, it's, it was a great offer. I just wasn't ready yet. I got, I know we can grow bigger, but the only reason I was able to get that offer is because things are set up correctly. The problem, you know, with not doing this, uh, you know, and, and I think you got to ask yourself, why am I doing, you know, why, why, you know, why do I want to build this? As I mentioned, I think part of it, one of the, for me was succession planning. And the most important thing of doing succession planning is to start early. No one per big person, one person going to come in, one of your partners going to write you a huge check. You know, I mean, you may be able to distribute shares. However, nowadays, I mean, part, private equity has been, uh, has been, uh, been that person. Um, because if you don't, set it up as a business where you are following the same rules as everyone else. In other words, not a lifestyle business. You're not overexpensing stuff through um, because you can't expect you to get away with that. And your partner's not. You've just created a job for yourself, which, which is of course not worth anything. You know, if, if it's, if it's a clean business from the accounting legal point of view, just like, and that is why quite frankly on the stock market, because of the oversight of the SEC and regulation and things are done correctly, that's why publicly traded stock is worth a lot more than privately traded. Um, so, you know, um, that's, in, you know, and that's the, the example of <clears throat> setting things up correctly. So there are some benefits too, you know, of 
growing and adding a partners and associates that become benefits to you and become benefits to your uh, associates and partners. One, we have a separate non-surgical practice, which is almost as big as our practice. What is the economy of uh, scale benefit to that, to me and the partners? It's our huge referral base. That's a benefit. Uh, we are able to maintain and support our op- our own operating rooms, which allow me to scale up and get more done in a day or my partners and more done in the day than we possibly can. And let's face it, with COVID, uh, everybody was worried about their OR time. It just wasn't an issue. We had a, we had a record year this year. Um, you know, being able to, from uh, an economy of scale, have a marketing team and things that you possibly couldn't have if you're a one-person show. These are other reasons to maybe want to grow and bring on. Uh, I'll give you an example. You know, we have now a director of marketing, which is a higher level paid person, a number of interns and people working in the marketing department. I couldn't afford that years ago. But now we have a level of sophistication at that level and at our accounting level that allow us to be more valuable, but also allow us to be more profitable. So there are other reasons to, you know, to want to add. Um, <clears throat> you know, why would they want to join you? You know, if you if you have some, what, what is it that you have to offer them? Well, if things are really set up well, think about the second for a second. A junior partner comes in and enjoys you, and all they got to do is put their head down and work. And you're able to feed them, and they, they've got a really well-oiled machine. You know, how many people by the age of 38, 39 years old can make high six figures, no call, no, and have fellows, you know, and that kind of thing, um, by simply just putting their head down. Um, none of it's ever perfect, but 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 if, if, if it's done in the spirit of winning accountability and fairness and transparency and lots of communication and well thought out, um, it has its best shot of, of working. The other thing is, you, you know, you want to be able to allow your associates, partners to have equity. And, you know, if you base it with, and I can't get into this in too much more detail, but if you base it on an EBITDA of, uh, of five, an EBITDA of a multiple of five, that's a 20% return. And if the profitability of that business goes up, it doubles in two or three more years, your partner associate is now seeing a 40, 45% return on their original investment. You know, where, where else can you get that? I don't know about most people, but I certainly can't um, get that anywhere else. Um, I can't get that anywhere else. And so now when you bring in a a junior person um, and they are able to invest in the equity piece that, that you have, based on fair market value. And again, it's fair, fair, fair all the way across. It's a hell of an investment. You know, yeah, they can put stuff in the stock market and they should, and they should max out their retirement, but now they're also vesting into practice in a way that they're seeing very nice returns. And so they are, you know, benefits. Um, <clears throat> you know, why would, you know, the same thing, you know, why would a plastic surgeon? Cause I get this all the time. I want to, I want to attract the plastic surgeon. I say, well, why? Well, I, I, I want to keep those patients in the practice. I, you know, I know I can refer to them and, and I don't want to lose them. And I said, okay, well, then what do you have to offer? You know, what are the, have you created a brand operating rooms, you know, a situation where a plastic surgeon can come join you, basically put their head into work, head down at work, show up, 
and they don't have to take ER car and call is basically all elective and there's a path to path, a very clear path to partnership and an equity position. Yeah, it's, it's you have something now to offer them. Or maybe, you know, because I get this all the time. Hey, do you mind getting on the phone with me and share, you know, kind of tell me how, you know, I know you have this thing set up where they have options. Can you kind of share that with me? But the reality is, because I have so many friends of mine who want, want me to spend an hour on the phone with them and tell them how to do it, but they're not really willing to really roll up their sleeves and put together a one and three and five year plan to make this happen. If you're not willing to put, because, because quote, I'm so, I'm too busy to do this. You know, I, I mean, I got to take time off of work. So can, just give me the secret sauce, Ed, because I know there's a way that you've done it. The reality is um, I literally put hundreds and hundreds of hours into this and thought as to how it had, and that's why it works. I basically set it up after corporate America. There's a reason why corporate America works with stock and stock options and bringing people on and equity partners. Well, I've basically done the same thing, but you know, I think it's important to become honest with yourself. Are you willing? Because if you're not, you know, have a one or two person practice. And then when you get to the end of it, right off into sunset and close the practice. So, you know, how do you go down this road if you really want to build a business? One, you got to be honest with yourself and ask yourself, as I mentioned, why? You know, why? If you just think you're going to make money on it, then, you know, maybe, maybe not. Clearly, if it's done correctly, as in any business, as you grow it and grow it and grow it, the primary shareholder does better than everyone else. But it's not like, you know, you're going to make a ton of money off of all your partners. Um, start with, you know, converting yourself into a corporate entity, uh, get an operating agreement, set up your accounting, and pay yourself fair market value. What is your true fair market value for your time? Live by the same rules as everyone else, as you expect everyone else. And then you can determine your true profit, which is basically your your uh, you know profit at the end of the year, EBITDA, which is based on EBITDA. Uh, set up a set of partnership rules that you all have to follow, including yourself, and an employment agreement, and then start to go on a search. But only once you have determined how you're going to have this all set up. And then the guidelines, when a person comes in, how are you going to set up, you know, how the referral is going to go, what are they going to get, what are they going to not going to get if they're not going to. Typically, you've got a 20-year difference between you unless you've got somebody. But a lot of my colleagues want to hang on to just way too long. I mean, I don't know if they want to just keep drinking from the well or, or they you know, don't have other things. I have a lot of other interests in life. So you know, to me, I always thought, I always thought, and I, I started this many, many years um, ago. Let's talk about risk. Um, <clears throat> because I think this is something that has to be really, really well thought out in the, uh, in the documents. And in the arrangements and in non-competes and those sorts of things. Don't ever, ever, ever expect a junior person who comes on to understand the, the risk that you've taken, the door shut in your face, and the angst that you've been through. The political wars. You know, I'll just tell you a story. When I first came to the town, there was a provincial uh, uh, bylaws in the one main hospital that I actually took. I took office space with a promise of being able to get, you know, my OR time and work in the ER. But the, the way it worked with the, the agreement with the hospital, the bylaws, is that you couldn't get on the call schedule until you were a, a doctor in, in good standing for two years, which basically, if you didn't join a big group, you're screwed. So because what the big groups would do is they would take all the call. And then junior guys would be the guys running into the hospitals. So I joined a town. There's a 10-person 
plastic surgery group, and then there's me. I can't even get on the call schedule. You know, and, and, and you know, so I used to work the ERs. I'd go to all three different emergency rooms and to change a shift. Um, you know, I'd introduce myself and, you know, someone would call you and a lot of people didn't call you. And, you know, I would, and I would, you know, I would just show up, do my work. And eventually you'd get two phone calls and you get this one person. I remember this one doctor who used to call me because, you know, I think he, he called the plastic surgery group and, you know, they give him attitude and they're like, oh, hell, I'll call Williams. He's a good guy. Doesn't seem like the, you know, he cares for the patients or have insurance or not. He'll always come in and sell someone up. And then, you know, the, I had the politics. I had this big plastic surgery group that basically got the board behind closed doors and said, listen, you call this guy when he, we're on call, uh, we're going to And they did. They pulled one guy from the hospital, one of his blocks, basically to let the hospital know they were doing business. I mean, I can go on and on and on about the risks that you take where there's no guaranteed income. You know, you take, you buy financial investments, you buy shit, you buy lasers and stuff that you shouldn't have bought. Um, now, I think I was probably 12 years. I remember sitting down, I put the building in and I was probably 12 years in practice. I down, sat down with my financial people and they were quite shocked how little I had in assets because all of my equity was in my business. All of my equity was in my building. So there are a lot of risks that you take early on and failures on purchases, even just a learning curve on how to build a team, the mistakes that I made early on, on not how to manage and build a team and hold people accountable, the turnover, the late hours, meeting with hiring another person. So my point is this, you know, in, in those bad decisions we made early on, there's a tremendous amount of risk that you take early on. And, and for that, you know, you're entitled to get, you know, to get paid on the equity as it has grown. But your junior person is not, is entitled not to overpay for any of that. And that's why it's got to be fair and got to be set up correctly. Um, but don't ever, ever, because the, the junior person coming on is never going to understand the grind that you been in and never going to understand they have somewhat of a luxury to be able to come into a practice where they don't have any call and they got fellows and they're not running to the ER and, and they basically are in a position to make you know more high sick figures in their late 30s. It's a, it's a heck of a situation to be in. So that's why it's got to be set up fairly from the beginning. Anyway, so in a non-compete, you're bringing someone in and, and do I feel not, I do feel that you know, I'm not an attorney, but I do feel that non-competes can be done and should be done fairly. If you're bringing someone into it, a lot of it depends on what you're, you know, what you're floating them. If you're floating someone a bigger salary and you're you're taking all the risk for them, okay, you can't be expected to take all that risk and, and bring them in and, and feed them and then have the ability for them to jump out and compete with you in two years and know all your referrals. And so, you know, I, I'm not here to go through a whole non-compete dissertation, but, but um, non-competes with a damage clause should be part of every original contract. Um, basically, what I tell our junior people is that, hey, you can go anywhere on the planet, you know, 25 miles away from one of our offices, anywhere. You know, that's the only thing. But by the same token, you can't expect. Now, again, some of it depends. Like I had one of my fellows go join a practice with a very low, ba they, they didn't, you know, they they wanted them initially to sign a non-compete, but they were gonna they weren't gonna guarantee anything. We're gonna give them a very 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 low base salary, pretty much a performance model. And I said to him, I said, you know, the problem with that situation is 
you know, they're taking you in at very low risk costs because they're, they're putting you very, very low salary with a performance piece. And if they don't feed you or don't send you people, you lose. They don't necessarily lose, but they lock you up with a non-compete. So I think really what it comes down to is risk. And I can, listen, I can talk about risk forever and I don't want to use up the whole podcast, but risk in these arrangements, who's taking the risk? Who's taking the greatest majority of risk and then crafting an arrangement fairly so that um, so that the risk is mitigated and distributed fairly and, and and then same thing when someone comes on as partners we all say in the sign we including myself signs a partnership arrangement with a non-compete and a damage clause in the event that you know Albany Med wants to hire me and write me a big enough check to come over there and run the department or something like that you know my partners aren't screwed the goal is always to save the entity right um, so the other thing <laughs> you want to really do is make sure you have some clear guidelines on assigning patients to the junior partner, whether it's plastics or, or, and communicate that with your team. And like I said, providing there's really good communication. It's being followed through. And I can tell you, cause I've mentored so many people story after story after story, because if this isn't done correctly and now you get ready for partnership and there is a little bit of friction there's much more of a potential for the partnership to fall apart, right? So next step is, you know, having a clear path to partnership. Typically 18 months is about minimum usually um, because after about 12 months, you really get to know people, you know, do I like this person? After 24 months, I knew somebody once had like a four or five year path to partnership. That's egregious because that's basically just it's self-serving for the partnership and it's really not fair for the junior partner. So, you know, given the fact that we go through this extensive training, I think that after about 18 months to 24 months, you should bring someone on as partner. We actually brought uh, one of our guys on at 18 months. We started discussion at 12 months, but he was also a former fellow. I knew him. I liked him, trusted him, and it went both ways. Um, but it does take time to get to know. But when you sit down to talk about partnership, you should be able to open the books that day. You should be able to talk about what the stock value is that day. Not, okay, well, now we're going to you know, get the attorneys involved. In, in, because it becomes, it becomes a, a source of tension and friction over the next six to eight months. Um, and you should be able to exp- explain the real value of the business and show them what they can expect as far as distributions. If you have, if, and this is where I'm at, my, I am absolutely positively determined to add value to the bottom line each and every year. And by doing so, I know that their stock and their distributions are going to go up. And if they're doing well and they're happy, you know, doing well financially and happy, and they're doing the cases and they're busy and their stock value is going up, what's there to argue? With? There really isn't, you know, I mean, Quite frankly, if, if, if my associates or people, you know, partners are not happy with the way I'm running things, we've, we agree on the value of it each year. Write me a check. I'm out. But typically that has, doesn't happen because if you're truly adding value and you're living by the same documents that they are, you have a, a level playing field of fairness. So. I really appreciate, you know, you're, you, you, are listening to this. Ultimately, if it's set up correctly too, here's the other thing is you are a target for private, private equity. 
Not that I want to sell out for private equity, but the reality is we have real value here. Um, and that is something else your partners will appreciate because who wins? Everybody wins on that deal. If you get in, you come in and they offer you a multiple of seven or, or eight or nine, and it's been valued from day one at five and it's grown significantly, you've got, you've got a win for everybody. So questions, you know, on, on how to bring on people to partnership, I, you know, send them to me, Dr. Edwin Williams, uh, com. That's our website. My Instagram is at edwin.williams.md. I have a lot of every Friday I have brewing advice and just some business tips and aesthetic medicine. And, um, uh, again, I, I do some one, I really, I do some one-on-one work, one-on-one work with people, very, very selected groups because there's just not enough hours in a day. And what I try to do is share as much of this information in a podcast format, you know, or at the meetings and those sorts of things. Um, but if you're, if you're going to go down this road, you really need to put your head down, um, and do it correctly. And I'm, I'm happy to give some guidance for those who are, hope you have a good day. And thanks again for listening to my podcast. Mm-hmm.